Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. refuse, you know, all over at you, and we're going to take you out with it. And then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue. So in other words, God is sending this, this discipline on them in order that he might reconcile them. And that's one thing that we see Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, that God's discipline has this one thing in mind to bring out reconciliation, to bring out repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. In today's message, Pastor David will share with you a common theme or thread that is shared between the Old and New Testaments. The Lord's desire for you as a Christian is to be restored and reconciled to Him. As Pastor David will show you, one of the ways God achieves this is by discipline. His discipline has many purposes, but one main purpose is to bring his people back from where they strayed, to bring repentance from his people. The Lord's desire for you as a Christian is to be restored and reconciled to him. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Malachi chapter 1 as he begins his message, Having the Last Word. actually started Malachi a couple of weeks ago, and then last week, Michael Ullman was here. And so if you'll remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had actually an extended time of prayer. And so we didn't get too far in Malachi when we started it. So we looked through the first portion of it. We actually only got down to about verse 10 of chapter 1, where, again, the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord, saying, who is there even among you who would just shut the doors? In other words, he was sick and tired of their worship. And he said, you know what? Just shut the doors, put out the fire. Uh, I I have no pleasure in you. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to hear those words from the Lord. Don't, Don't even begin to worship me. I take no pleasure in you. I'll be the first one to admit, there's times where I'll come and, and, and worship the Lord and I realize, man, there's stuff in my life, I, it's just not right. There, there's stuff that I need to repent of. There's stuff that I need to lay down before I can even begin to worship with any kind of a freedom. But man, I don't ever want to hear these words where the Lord says, you know what, I'm just tired of you. I take no pleasure in you, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. And then he speaks to the people. He says, from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now let me stop right there. Now he is speaking to the the Jewish people. 
And he says, my name is going to be exalted among the Gentiles. My name is going to be exalted among the nations, which again is, is, is a Old Testament way of saying those that are not Jewish. Uh, again, to the Gentiles. So he's saying, my name is going to be exalted. Worship is going to be given to me. A pure offering, my name shall be great among the nations. And then he turns his focus then to the people of Israel. And he says, but you, you profane it. And that you say the Lord or the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, and thus you bring an offering. Shall I accept this from your hand? But cursed, verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared among the nations. Every aspect of their worship from what we read in Malachi at this point in time, even after the 70 plus years in exile up in Babylon, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall, the rebuilding of the city, all of these things, how God allowed them to come back into their land. Even with the the temple being built, the mind, the heart, and the attitude of the people had not come to brokenness, had not come to humility before the Lord, had not come to real worship before the Lord. They were going through the motions. They were giving a little when God says, no, I want all that you are. They were giving a portion of their life or their heart or their mind. And God says, no, I'm not going to be satisfied with that. I am a great king. I desire all of your life. And even as I believe that we shared uh, over this last week, that a little bit of obedience is disobedience. If we are not obedient in all things, then we are disobedient. You would have uh, something that says, yeah, you know, this this, uh, bottle of water is really good, but it's got got a lot of lead in it, you know, but it's really good tasting water. You think, well, I'm not going to drink that. Well, God says, you know, your worship, you come to me, you're going through the motions, but you're not giving the best. You're not giving real uh, heartfelt devotion to me, and I take no pleasure to this. And so in chapter two, he kind of brings on, and this time brings it on. He, he talks specifically to the priests because the priests were the ones who were to lead the people. The priests were the ones that should have said, Hey, th- this lamb is no good. It's got a broken leg. This, this, this lamb over here, this one's got all blemishes. It's got scabs and everything. We're not going to take that. But even the priests were in that kind of attitude of just going through the motions. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, to the priests, he says, I'm going to send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've cursed them already because you did not take it to heart. And so in other words, God had already spoken to them. They didn't do anything. So God said, well, I'm going to keep going. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Well, they would take all that and throw it out in the, in the, the valley of Hinnon, where there's this burning flame that burnt 
continually, that eternal flame. When Jesus speaks of this flame that never ends, the, the, the significance of that was, was the garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem. That's where we're going to take. And, and again, it's that idea of that never-ending flame. Is he saying that, again, they've lost their salvation? I don't know. You know it, looks, it, it looks strong there of what he's saying. There's going to be refuse you know, all over at you, and we're going to take you out with it. And then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue. So in other words, God is sending this, this discipline on them in order that he might reconcile them. And that's one thing that we see, Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, that God's discipline has this one thing in mind, to bring out reconciliation, to bring out repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. Verse 7, the lips of the priest should keep knowledge. The people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You've caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. We were talking with a couple just today and talking about, again, uh, the, the, the false teachers that are even with us today and how some of them had started out in, in ministry, man, it seemed like their heart was all for the Lord. Man, they were positive and then right in the word as they ministered. And then it seems like as success built, they got further and further away from the word of God and began then teaching and proclaiming and drawing people not to the purity of the word of God, but to the wisdom of man, to the, the, the feel-good attitudes, to, to, to false doctrines and false teachings. I see this here. You, you should have been the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you've departed from it. And you've caused many to stumble at the law. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. So again, these priests, they're, they're not teaching the word of God and uh, whatever they were teaching him, they were corrupting the truth of the covenant that God had made. And because they had misrepresented the, the, the law or the instruction or the Torah before the people, uh, the people were being led astray by the very ones that should have showed them the right direction or the right way to go. So the people trusted the teachers and the teachers abused that trust led them away from the truth of God. So it's here in chapter two where Malachi addresses the fact that many of these priests have even gone so far as to take for themselves foreign wives, non-Jewish, non-believing wives. Look what he says in verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination, that's what God calls it for them. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. Now, let me stop right there. The Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about the relationship of a man and a woman for life. That is the call of God. That is the desire. That is the pleasure of God. He says, you have profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. 
he has married the daughter of a foreign god. These priests have gone out and married these pagan women. He says in verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake, being aware, and yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. He didn't do it foolishly. It's not like she tricked him. Oh, no, no, I'm a, I'm a good little Jewish girl. Uh, you know, I, I believe in the Torah I go through. No, he knew that she was a pagan when he married her. Paul says, man, don't be unequally yoked. And that's for all of us, male and female. Don't be unequally yoked. Uh, we try to tell the kids, listen, missionary dating is not good. It does not work. It will bring you down rather than bring the other one up. And so many young people, again, think, well, if I, if I, if I can just uh, be with him or if I could just be with her and get her to come to church and then maybe she might come to Christ. No, let her come to Christ first before you commit your heart. Because again, the heartache and the heartbreak of an unbelieving spouse, those stories go, I mean, by the hundreds, way too much. Moving on real quick in verses 13 and 14, Malachi states that the people wonder why the Lord, why, why isn't the Lord receiving our offering? They give that fourth question, gee, what, what, what have we done that was so bad? And yet the Lord's answer to them is his response to the people uh, in this case and how they've treated their wives, the wife of their youth. And so again, still speaking about marriage, look at verse 13. This is the second thing you do. The first thing, the priests were marrying unbelieving women, pagan women. The second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, why, what have we done? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. And yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You know, here in Arizona, they have what are called covenant wedding ceremonies. And the fact is, is for a believer, you have a marriage ceremony, it is a covenant. You have vowed before God and these witnesses that I will take this woman, I will take this man as my lawfully wedded husband or, or wife. It is a covenant relationship that we make before God that says literally till death do us part in sickness and in health through riches and, and, and poor. Uh, all th- this whole idea that whatever it takes, I'm going to devote myself Now, I know as I look out on the the congregation that some of you have gone through the torment of of, of divorce, the, the brokenness, the tearing that that brings. You know yourself the heartbreak that that brings. That was not God's desire. God's desire is one man, one woman for life. And you know what? It ain't easy. It ain't easy. You can ask my wife. It's not easy. I tell people that we've been married 43 wonderful years and four years of hell that I put her through. And I mean that very literally because I just walked away from the Lord for about three and a half years. And yet she remained faithful. She remained obedient. 
again, seeking the Lord. Oh, she has her own story of the own, her own struggles during that time. But I guarantee you, it was because of the commitment that we both made, not only to each other, but to God that has kept us together through all of this time. And again, God has been gracious in the midst of it. God takes this thing of covenant relationships seriously. That's the kind of relationship he gives to us, a covenant relationship that is not broken. And if you remember back in Genesis, the relationship or the covenant that he made with Abraham where where he told Abraham to split all these animals right in half and lay them down on the ground and Abraham had to stay up at night, keep the uh, all the wild animals away from it. And the Lord came literally with a, with a burning fire and went between those animals. The whole significance of that is in the Middle East at that point in time, you would lay those animals out. And as you and I make a covenant agreement together, whatever that agreement is, then you and I would walk between those animals. And we would say, may the Lord do to us, to either of us, in the same way as these animals, if we break this covenant. It was a life and death, serious relationship. Maybe that's how I ought to start doing wedding vows. Just put a lot of dead animals down the aisle. May the Lord do to us if we break this covenant. I probably wouldn't do very many more weddings, but uh, that, that's the seriousness of it. That's the reality of it. Chapter two ends with this fifth of uh, their, their eight questions. Uh, verse 17. You've wearied the Lord with your words, and yet you say, ah, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? In other words, they're, they're looking around and says, look, all these guys that are evil, they're prospering. You know, his, he, he got a raise in his job, man. They, uh, everybody's fine at their house, whereas at my house, you know, man, we, everybody is sick and there's all this stuff that's going on. No, the Lord, you know, that, that one that's doing evil, it's okay in God's eyes. How come God of justice hasn't gone in and, and taken care of business at this point in time? Again, failing to understand that God's work and God's timing is not, you know, our way, and it's not in our timing. At the beginning of chapter three, God answers their question with a message of both the, the reality of this coming judgment, but also in the midst of the judgment, there's this great hope. Uh, it's that pr- prophetic declaration of, of what we know to be the, the coming of John the Baptist. Look what he says there in chapter three, verse one. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This correlates right with what Isaiah declares in Isaiah chapter 40, verses three and five. Isaiah says, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will be made smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It is the reality that there is coming that time. Even as he said in Malachi, 
projecting, again, the prophetic reality that Jesus was going to be coming, but even beyond that, that farther prophetic message that Jesus will be coming again, and in that point in time, that's when all the judgment and all the balances will be made complete, and all the accounts will be brought into payment at that point in time. If you remember, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we read about a man by the name of Zechariah, one of the priests. He's the, fa- he's the father of John the Baptist, and, and he's, he's the one that, again, had to declare that his son's name was going to be John. Remember, because he didn't believe the angelic message, the angel made him mute for a time until he wrote on the paper, his name shall be John. And then he got uh, his voice. And then when he got his voice, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied about his son. Listen to the words that he prophesied about his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah, filled by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understood that his son John was that very one that Isaiah declared, that very one that Malachi is declaring. Jesus even referred to that same passage when he spoke about John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, Jesus says, this is the one, speaking about John, this is the one about whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Mark begins his gospel account with the words about John the Baptist. In Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. And so we look at this and we see they're saying, how come there's no judgment? How come the evil are getting along well? Where is the God of justice? And the Lord says, oh, he's coming. I'm going to send my messenger before him to say, prepare the way of the Lord. And again, speaking 400 years later when John the Baptist would come. Again, not only would he come to bring salvation, uh, but he's also coming to bring that time of judgment. Back in Malachi, still in that third chapter, we read in verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like launderer's soap. How many of you ever heard uh, the, the fullness of Handel's Messiah? Uh, man, you know, when, when they start singing this, uh, man, it is so powerful. I, I love when, when, how, they, how the Lord, I believe, gifted uh, Handel to be able to put this together. Oh, he's like a refiner's fire, uh, uh, launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. You know, when you purge gold and silver, it's not an easy process for the gold and silver. The gold and silver don't appreciate it very much at all because they are put under such intense heat because it's only through that intensity of the heat that the dross is drawn out of them. He's going to purify them like gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord 
an offering in righteousness. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page see you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.